You're listening to Winning Season, the podcast for women leaders who work within male-dominated industries. Hold up. Yeah, that's almost every industry. But listen, on this podcast, we talk about tools, tips, techniques, so that we can thrive in our work environments and we share our secrets to success. That's why we call it Winning Season. My name is Jacqueline Twilley, president of ZeroGap.co and best-selling author. I'm your host, and I'm excited that you're here for today's conversation. Winning season. I am so over the moon, filled with gratitude that you all are feeling this beyond the Black Squares and Hashtag series. Those first two episodes with Robert, were they amazing or what? Just so many gems that Robert dropped in there. So if you miss those, you definitely want to go back. Now, today we have another phenomenal guest on the Winning Season podcast. And again, another dynamic conversation because I am really realizing that I have some amazing folks in my circle and and that just speaks to my favorite quote in life, which is to surround yourself with people that push you to be the highest and grandest version of yourself. Oprah said that it's something that I've really gravitated towards over the past decade. And I'm really proud that I've been intentional about being around people who really encourage me to continue to add value to my community, like you all winning season, and step my game up. So let me tell you about today's guest, Jasmine Reed Clark. Jasmine is a writer and a career coach who left her former industries in human resources and employee experience to be a corporate consultant and diversity equity and inclusion advocate. Her most notable work has appeared in The Financial Diet, The Every Girl, and BYOB Revolt. While in HR, Jasmine founded Open Doors People of Color Employee Resource Group and cultivated their diversity and inclusion programming. So I'm going to tell you how to connect with Jasmine uh, at the end of this episode. But let me tell you some of the things we talked about. When we started the conversation, we were talking about what's beyond her LinkedIn profile. And I have to tell you, her Instagram is so delicious. Her home is decorated so beautifully. I'm kind of kick off there. And then we talked about these overdue discussions on race and how code switching really impacts how employees feel like they're included when we talk about inclusion and equity at work. And then I love that Jasmine is so passionate. You hear in her voice how passionate she gets several times throughout the conversation, but she alluded to this article that she recently released about her Black is not sold separately. And being a friend of a Black person, you don't get to pick a la carte, like, oh, I like this about Black culture, but I'm going to ignore that part. And I thought that was extremely thought-provoking. 
Jasmine gives us some tangible pathways if you want to establish an ERG because she's done that, but then she goes beyond that. We talk about the boardroom, some tangible pathways to do some diversity reports, to be transparent about those reports. And when things don't work out, don't just say, oh, we tried it, it didn't work. Use data to go back and candidly revamp those programs so that they are truly inclusive. Y'all, this conversation is so, so so good. Jasmine and I could talk for days and days, but you'll hear um, the insight that I gained from her. I took a page of notes the first time I listened to this episode. And then the second time I listened to it, I took even more notes. So with that being said, grab your notebooks and share this episode with a friend. All right, winning season. So we have Jasmine on the line and I'm so excited for y'all to talk to her. First of all, I just absolutely adore her. I met her about a year or more ago in Dallas. She is a wonderful individual. And Jasmine, I'm so excited that you agreed to come to the winning season podcast. So welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes. So Kind of let's start off with telling people about you beyond your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, for sure. So I am, uh, as you guys know, a writer and a career coach. But more than that, I think I'm somebody who has always just had a little bit of a unorthodox uh, or always approach to life. Um, Not because I want to be unique, but just I think never quite feeling like I fit in. I've always felt like I had to find a back door to success, but it's really served me well. And through that, I, I sincerely believe in like positive energy and the law of attraction and cultivating your own way and just kind of shredding the idea of traditional narratives and traditional paths. So with that, it kind of even down to, you know, how I decorate my home. I'm just like, okay, what is going to feed my soul (laughs) in this house? So I I definitely feel like I'm a soul focused person, um, which does get me into trouble sometimes. I mean, there are times my husband does have to say like, girl, you got to stick with a plan for like longer (laughs) than a day. So, um, yeah, I would say that's about me. And I sincerely believe I was in this lifetime meant to learn self-love, self-acceptance, and to help other women do the same. Um, So I hope, uh, even on this podcast episode, I hope I can like live out my purpose in in that respect. Oh my goodness. That is so awesome. And I just have to say that since you brought it up, your home is decorated (laughs) in the most amazing way. I can't wait for everything to kind of calm down so I can come over and kick it with you. I know! Jasmine's house is on Instagram and I promise you it looks like a magazine. She has done such a great job curating the most beautiful space. Thank you so much. And it's really, I am such a homebody, but this quarantine has kicked it up a notch. So um, I'm like always organizing if I'm not pouring my soul onto the internet. But thank you. Yes. Well, talking about pouring your soul out on the internet, you are a brilliant writer. I enjoy reading your pieces. And you posted 
a piece about code switching. And I want to start our dialogue about that, primarily because in this series that we're featuring different people to talk about our path forward, mainly beyond these Black squares that we mm -hmm. saw on Instagram in support of Black lives, which kind of translated into corporate organizations releasing statements. Mm -hmm. And then a second piece of employees saying, well, hold up, you're saying this publicly, mm -hmm. but it's different on the inside. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted your voice to be heard on this series because I believe that your work is so brilliant and I love what you're doing. And also when I saw that piece about code switching, it brought to mind oftentimes Black people and people of color, they don't come to work as their true selves. They come on uh, and they try to just fit in and do their work. So if you can take us through your piece about code switching and kind of break that down, that's kind of where I love our conversation to flow into. And then we'll talk about some other things as well. Oh, gosh. Yes, absolutely. And one thing to even, um, I'll, I'll start off with this before I go through the piece, is when I was having these thoughtful discussions, these overdue discussions with my white friends or um, friends who just at least can pass for white, they um, they were like, wow, I'm just, I'm so shocked. And I'm shocked you experience racism because it's, it's almost like they believe there's this, um, like you have black people and then you have this other set of black people and the group to the to you know group a they have the same privilege as white people and then group b are the people who experience the things we see in the news so it was really disturbing and uh -huh. frustrating to have my friends think that i don't experience the same things that i go to protests for and that i write about um so that alone, I think it's really interesting just for white friends to think, oh, but you seem so polished and put together. And it's like, yes. Girl, yes. Right. <laughs> Let me tell you also, <laughs> I think that it is also a form of colorism because as a lighter skinned Black woman, mm -hmm. the way that your friends responded is how so many of my friends responded as well. And, and honestly, some friendships have ended because you it's like they're like oh but you're not like those black people and i'm like i am black people except boom 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 yes i i have a piece coming out with a um byob revolt but it's literally called my black is not sold separately and that is what i when you say you've had friendships end i'm experiencing the same thing and like did you really think like our friendship was a la carte. You could accept the pop culture jokes. You could, you know, accept the the feminism, yep. but you just thought, oh, but you're not like other black people that I see on television. So yes. no, completely. It, it's so ignorant. And, th and then the thing that I'm, I was not to get so passionate. I'm like, you've literally, I've tried to tell you about race and you see me donating and you see me protesting. And this was like, even before the last few months. So I'm like, what did you think all of that was for? Like for, it's not performative wokeness. Like it is for so many other people. It's just, so it's really interesting to kind of get that kind of feedback. Um, yep. But I'm also happy I get it. Cause you're like, Oh, okay. I don't, I don't need to put 
that much energy into this relationship. But to go through the piece, um, for a little bit of background, I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia. So I grew up in Alpharetta, which is a, at least when I was growing up there anyway, it was primarily white, affluent suburb. And I was usually one of, if not the only black kid in the class. And I remember um, really being ostracized. And uh, like, I, it's funny, the memories you'll take from childhood. But I remember there was this long line where all the girls would do each other's hair. And I was like, oh, can I join the line? And mind you, this is like elementary school. So I'm like, oh, can I join the line of hair braiding? And one of the girls was like, we would let you, but like your hair is just different. Like you can't, you can't be in this line. And so when you're six, seven, eight, you know, you don't really have the vocabulary or even maybe the intellectual maturity to understand what's going on. But you, but I was internalizing you're different, you're not allowed. And so many other stories. I mean, you and I, I know, like most black women, countless stories like that. Um, But I began to, I remember taking um, like a notebook, because I had no friends, I was always eating by myself at lunch. Um, And I was like, this is so weird, let me figure this out. And so I observed the way my white peers spoke and dressed. And I was like, hmm, if I can kind of change the register of my voice a little bit. And if, um, oh, if I go to Hollister, you know, instead of baby fat, oh, okay, let me try those clothes on. And I, and then you get quote unquote positive reception, meaning I'm not eating by myself anymore. And you, again, you internalize this, okay, now If I, it's called code switching, but like, I didn't know that word until like my early twenties. So I began to code switch. Um, but with it, it is this mask that you put on and it's hard because as much as you may struggle with putting it on and God, am I, am I selling out? What am I doing? Um, I, I want to bring my blackness to work. I want to bring my blackness to all of my friendships, which I do want to say I'm at a point where. I do believe if you can't bring your blackness to your friendships, that does not need to be a friendship. Right. Um, Yeah. But in high school, when you're the only black kid, sometimes it's hard to come to that conclusion on your own. And, but it's this mask that we can put on and it's a survival tactic more than anything um, because we got to get that job. (laughs) We got to secure the bag. We've got to have friendships. Um, And it's just something that I've even gone to therapy for. I started seeing a therapist a few years ago, and I saw her for two years straight. She's so awesome. Um, And that was one of the biggest things we talked about because I don't know if you struggle with this, but there were moments where there's shame involved because you don't want to have to code switch, but then it's very hard when go and even going back to colorism when you are getting the promotions and you are garnering the respect of c-level executives and your ideas are getting implemented um but you know maybe you see somebody across the room and you know deep down why her ideas aren't being heard um so that's where the, the the article came from and it's really something that i probably don't go a day without thinking about is code switching cultural assimilation and and just having to survive in a white boy's world as a black woman. 
And I'm going to link up to this episode show notes, a link to that article, and I'm going to post it inside of the private winning season Facebook group as well. For those of you who haven't read it, please check it out. It's so informative. Um, And to your point, Jasmine, I have experienced that. And like you, I didn't have the vocabulary for it. Um, A lot of my friends in high school were mixed. But when I went to graduate school, I was one of very few Black people in my entire town. And Mm -hmm. I was the only Black woman in my MBA cohort. And I remember after I graduated, I was driving to Louisiana. My grandma was riding with me. I had all my stuff shipped. And then, you know, when you're moving across country, you have like your most prized possessions as a 20-something-year-old in the car with you. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But I remember we got to a certain point in Mississippi that was familiar to me because we had family in that area. And I still remember where I was at on the interstate to this day, over a decade later, of just breathing deeply and kind of sighing and letting things loose. And I was like, oh, I can be myself again. And I didn't know what that was. As a woman in my early 20s, I was like, I don't know what this was, but I feel better. And it wasn't until years later, I was talking to one of my good friends and he started experiencing some challenges with his mental health as a result of code switching so hard that I that I put language to what I experienced in that moment. It was in that moment where I got to Mississippi and I felt familial ground that I felt like I didn't have to code switch as their survival mechanism. And I think that so many people in corporate spaces, we know how to put on our phone voice or our work voice. And there's some great comedy sketches out there of comedians, like when you're in the break room and then we're on the phone with your friend and when you're in the meeting, how we switch our voices to survive in those places so that we can earn a living, so we can get promoted, so we can get that raise. And so we don't get labeled as angry black woman. And what I'm seeing starting to change, especially reading some threads on Twitter, is that with companies making these statements of saying we support Black people, we're going to give y'all Juneteenth as a paid holiday. Black people are starting to feel like, okay, I'm going to show up as myself. Are y'all ready? Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop code switching. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, gosh. Okay, so right now I'm freelancing, so I don't have to go into a work, you know, a place of work every day. But I was just telling my husband, I because I see the posts now, what what I think about people having that mentality is, hey, that's the goal, right? Is that everyone, everyone, um, no matter race, sexual orientation, you can be authentic and loud and proud, and there are no uh, there are no consequences to that. So I love the philosophy of it. I am very suspicious in its execution because I have just been burned way too many times. I'm very jaded when it comes to race relations. In fact, when I'm looking at race relations within the workplace among executives, because when I look at some of the places I formerly worked, It's very interesting to see their new strategies and how they finally now have the budget for a DNI leader and that they now want to do employee resource groups. When I'm like, hmm, interesting. When I was there, I proposed that idea or whatever it is. And 
there was a reason we couldn't uh, come up with something. So it's, I wonder if, I want that to be the end result that we can all come to work. And I am, I am very proud that people are feeling more comfortable and more confident to come to work as themselves. But I would be lying here if I said I wasn't suspicious of executives um, and that I still think it is going to be a long time until we can truly show up authentically. Um, I think what we're going to see now, this is just my own guess. I, you know, could be wrong. Hope I'm wrong. But I would imagine what we'll see now is they'll make sure the black person's heard in the room, but are they, are they going to take it one step further and advocate for that black person in the room when they're not there and advocate for their ideas um, that they, that they proposed in the meeting? That is, that's the real change I want to see. I just don't want it to end up being a checkbox. Like, oh, like you said, we gave them Juneteenth. So we did our, you know, we did our job for this decade. Um, So those are some of my surrounding thoughts, but what I mean, what do you think? Or I know you work with leaders every day. Are are they jaded like I am? Are they a little bit more optimistic? Yes, 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 yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, I work with, as you know, I, I do executive coaching. So I work with a lot of high level black women and some of them are in roles. Their title is diversity and inclusion. And when they come to the table with program specifically to address the needs of the employees, those ideas get shut down. And oftentimes they report to someone who may be unaware of their bias, which makes it unconscious bias. And as a result of that, they feel threatened when we ha- when there's any type of conversation about differences in the workplace. What I hope and what I'm working with my clients to do is to really have courageous conversations and set the tone by pulling the stigma out of saying, you know what, we are not going to talk about uh, racial equality without talking about our real issues. And it doesn't mean I don't like you. It doesn't mean I think you're a horrible person. It just means that there are some things that make us different. And if we don't recognize those differences, then this type of environment doesn't support people feeling like they belong here. So mm-hmm. that, that's what I think. In terms of a, a path forward, I know you have experience establishing employee resource groups. I would love to hear from you about what are some tangible things that organizations can do, specifically leveraging an employee resource group to bring about a more inclusive environment? Oh, yes. Great, great question. In fact, I would, I'd love to even kind of add a little extra meat onto that and tell you how how it came about. Because the ERG that I've, am I allowed to say company names, by the way? If you want to. Yeah. And this isn't like defamatory or you know what? I'll keep it anonymous. It's fine. But I mean, they at this their LinkedIn point, profile, they can put two and two together. Right. That's what, exactly. So I worked at a tech company, Open Door, which I do want to say far and large, my my large experience at Open Door was incredible. I really had strong women leaders there who truly invested in me. So without them, and I'm thinking about, you know, 
Erica Alioto, our chief people officer, and Megan Bean, who at one point, she's moved on, but director of HR. Incredible women who completely were very great allies to me. Now, with that said, there was a time when Erica was not there, and I proposed an ERG, proposed it to two white guys, and immediately got shut down. They were like, what is this? No. Like, if you want to start a diversity club, that's cool. And thankfully, Erica came into the picture, um, and she and I sat down, and she was much more receptive. But it's also, when you look at that optic, it's So it immediately got approved once I got Erica on board. But it's like, why did it have to take a white woman coming into the picture for you to give a crap about my proposal? But unfortunately, that was my reality in 2018, I want to say, is when we we were able to get it off the ground. So that said, um, if you're interested in building one, this is me giving completely unfiltered real advice make sure you have a C-level executive behind you. It will be taken far more seriously. You need leadership buy-in. I would dare to say go after somebody in the C-suite. And because you will deal with that leader, um, that leader is also going to have eyes on them. And they're not going to, they don't want to look like, you know, a chump themselves. So they themselves are going to make sure that things are getting done and things are getting approved. So definitely get an executive behind it. But, um, and really listen, if your team has brought up the idea of ERGs, and if you blamed it on funding, if you blamed it on numbers, please revisit it because it shouldn't have to take, like, I, I just, I hate when white saviorism happens within the workplace. Um, but and I, anyhow, so moving on from there, how to make sure that it's really successful. So yes, now once you have the, the leadership, it's not enough just to have the co-sign. That leader needs to be invested as well. Um, I've experienced leaders who d- gave me the co-sign and, just weren't as active. And so having somebody who's showing up and who's speaking about the ERG in other meetings, or maybe you have a company conference, making sure that it's getting the right promotions and the right plugs and consistently fantastic. Next, more transparency. Now we are starting to see companies release their different numbers and their plans and their action plans. And that's great. It's frustrating on one end, I have to admit, because I remember getting hit with the, oh, we can't release this kind of information due to legal reasons, X, Y, and Z. But now it becomes a hashtag and magically, you know, all these legal loopholes. But we are here and we are here now. So we have to move forward um, with with what we can do now. So transparency. I want to see more diversity reports at these quarterly meetings or these all hands, whatever it's called at your organization and show the progress. But also if if you see a dip in numbers or if you have unsuccessful programming, I want you to show, hey, this was unsuccessful. This is how we're going to go back and, and um, you know, re- reframe everything. And then within, for the people that are in the ERGs, yes, listen and reflect on the things they say. But truly, before you let a, um, maybe it's a new careers page go out or a new policy go out, really interact with them as though they are six-figure thought leaders. Do not treat this like a big sister 
mentorship program and you smile and nod and then one like their their grievances or their ideas go in one ear and out the other then what's the point we're all just wasting our own breath so really listen and put their ideas into action um look at them as counsel before you do truly anything especially external communications and really give them a budget like yes thank you thank you for juneteenth but um and hey thanks for like the different charities you guys are donating to truly thank you but also let's put our resources into partnerships with hbcus or let's put some more resources into our own communities and state level legislation things that are actually going to help dissolve systemic oppression i just and i think you hear me getting passionate because there's so much performative wokeness and it's and it sucks because i think there's this internal battle i don't know if you're going through it where you're like, damn it, if I don't say thank you, then, you know, you'll go back to giving us nothing, not even the breadcrumbs you're giving us now. But I also don't want you to think this is a feast because it's not. These are breadcrumbs and we are we have to keep pushing you to do better. So I, I, I think I just I hear off. your passion, too. And I, that's exactly why I wanted to talk to you, because you are so passionate and you are so real. And we have to have these courageous conversations and talk about practical things we can do to move forward. And I'm so glad you gave us both sides of the table from the organization point and as well as from the employee point. And to reiterate what you just said, yes, these are good places to start, but it's long overdue. And if we were to to flip this and we were to talk about this like we were in a boardroom, if a company did a SWOT analysis and they identify mm -hmm. an opportunity or a threat, they would throw extra resources to come up to speed as quickly as possible. And by, and I'm going to call this unconscious bias because I'm giving people benefit of the doubt. Now that these things that you were not aware of that may not have supported all of your employees, i.e. your Black employees, because that's what we're talking about in this conversation, mm -hmm. now it's time to throw the full weight of the resources just like you would if you identified an area of your business that you were not investing in that needs to be invested in very heavily. So thank you for giving us these steps to move forward and for your passion because I feel you. I feel you so much. <laughs> no, and it's like, and I, and thank you for just even giving me the space to be passionate. I think, and I don't know about you, even taking it outside of the workplace. It's, oh, I posted a black square. I did the right thing. And it's like, you're still missing the whole point. So, yeah. um, and that's hard. Like, I want to be very real here too. I have made so many mistakes and I've been corrected so many times. I've, I myself, even when I was creating different programming at former employers, yes, before you think about your tactics, yo, like make sure your mission and your philosophy is on point. Like think about your core values and how do you want to value diversity and inclusion at X company? So I think that's just another thing. And I have to sit with that too. You know, um, I think that's something we all have to do. Yeah. And so glad that you brought that up because there is no 
one shot, get it all right. Mm -hmm. This is a continuous mm -hmm. process where we all continue to evolve and grow. And we have to give each other grace in this period. As Black professionals, we have to give our employers grace as mm -hmm. they are coming into their awareness and learning about some practical things, not just performative, but practical things to yes. move forward. Yes. And it's very... Um, how do I want to say this? I'll just say it. <laughs> As employees, and, and I'm not an employee, but I'm, I'm speaking in general terms here. Mm -hmm. We've got to get over cancel culture when it comes oh. to people we work with. Yeah. And I want your, your opinion on this because what I find is that cancel culture spills over into people going into work and wanting to clap back. And in order for us to have true dialogue, in order for us to make true progress and to educate each other, we have to learn other people's perspective, just like they have to learn ours. Although we have master code switching, we still, <laughs> we still have to understand their lens and where their unconscious bias comes mm -hmm. from in order mm -hmm. to be able to productively work together. And I feel like cancer cancel culture is one of the worst things that we can take into the workplace oh my gosh well even I just hate cancel culture point blank period because it does not give anyone the grace to evolve and my god like who would want to be held responsible for every thought opinion action they've done I mean don't get me wrong they're truly despicable things that like Harvey Weinstein, horrible person. I think we can all agree there. But there yeah, are but that like, wasn't like right. a one-time thing, right? right. That's exactly. like decades of heinous behavior. Exactly. And that was you knew better and you still chose to be a pig. So, you know, I'm not talking about these folks. I just don't want my words to get dicey, you know, but yeah, I absolutely hate cancel culture. Um and going back to what you were saying to kind of put it back into the lens of corporate America, one of the best pieces of advice that I got from Katie Censorini at Open Door, she was or is the director of learning and development there. She's fantastic, is you have to meet people where they're at. And that has always stuck with me, even in my personal relationships. So great example. Um, my husband is, if you think I'm passionate, my husband is very passionate. And sometimes he can, he almost wants to like beat facts into you. And he's just very logical. So to him, it's, I'm giving you all of these facts. How is your brain not changing? But we got into a pretty heated discussion with some family members. And at one point I had to stop and play mediator and say, hey, I love you, but like, this is not how we meet people where they're at. If, you know, if somebody is so far on the spectrum that they think we're living in a post-racial society, we probably can't bring in some of the scholastic conversations just yet. Let's kind of put it at a level that they're going to understand and not come from a place of accusation, but a place of hopefulness and yeah. and you know and hey i want to i i do want to point something out here that is also another burden white people that we as black people have to take on is that's like a like to deal with right excuse me white fragility in the midst of a black lives matter movement again that is a part of white privilege is that the those being oppressed 
sometimes think about your feelings. I'm not saying everyone is. I know there's a lot of heated discussion online, but it is one thing that's a part of it. So meeting people where they're at is important. Um, And something that I have to challenge myself to do, just in general, this is a life thing. Yes. Give people the grace to change. And that even goes with this person's always mean to me, or I don't get along with this family member. And something I've learned in therapy, but also have learned through life. How beautiful is it that we can look at certain friendships or relationships and how different they look now? And you you kind of have to go in with that open heart. And again, I'm talking to myself here too, because as we just discussed, I can be a little jaded. I've been burned, but I also know that um I also know that I have to have grace for everyone involved. Yes, that is that is so key as we move to these conversations and we are having courageous conversations that we take a step back and extend somebody grace, even if you think what they just said was the most ridiculous thing. And to your point, we're not talking about people who are explicitly saying harmful and hurtful things in a and you can tell it's coming from like a a sour place Mm -hmm. but if someone is genuinely trying to understand then we give them grace and back to our earlier point of our conversation when I said that I've ended some friendships I didn't end them because that person was being genuinely curious oh yeah Mm -hmm. I, I ended them because that person exhibited to me and multiple ways that they didn't really give a damn about mm-hmm. how I felt as a black woman and when we talk about grace it's it's important to understand the different levels and don't write someone off because they made one mistake or two mistakes but really if we look at someone's uh, behavior patterns over a period of time to let that inform our decisions so Girl, this was good. It went a different way. I could talk to you forever. I see we're getting close to our time. Oh my God, the time flew by. I'm so sorry. I know that was no, my fault. <laughs> it is not. You had so many good points. Before we go, Jasmine, I want to give you a chance. If there's anything else you'd like to say about this topic for us to explore that. You know what? And I think this almost is like the the perfect bow about being able to grow, learn, and and some practical policies. Um, I went to a young urban professional meeting, uh, I think last year, and one thing that they brought up was, and I hate that the the exact name is escaping me, but basically having forgiveness um, if somebody has a criminal background. You know, I, I know that there's a lot of asterisks there, but, you know, I am somebody who has never been arrested no one in my immediate family has been arrested. However, I myself over the last decade have learned so much about prison reform and incarceration. Um, and even just I'm I'm now since the the Black Lives Matter movement of 2020 have been reading more even about prison, like abolishing prison reform in general. However, what is interesting about all I say everything to say that the more I learn, the more I understand, oh, hmm, you can't judge somebody by a piece of paper. So a lot of um, different legislation is coming out so that you can't ask for somebody's, you can't do like a background check or ask if they have a criminal background before the interview. Um, And I think when you first hear that, you're like, why? You should totally be able to ask somebody if they've been to jail before. 
But when somebody sits down and explains to you how this actually hinders you from getting a job and hinders you from from so many opportunities, um, and you pair that with the fact that so many people are wrongfully incarcerated or, you know, are in jail for nonviolent crimes, then you begin to realize that the world is not so black and white, no pun intended, is not so black and white, and that we are living in an unjust society, but we all have not only the responsibility, but the capacity to lend grace and to make the world a little bit a little bit better than we left it. So I know that's like a whole other topic, but that's what I wanted to end on. Um, and that's also something you can explore um, as far as, you know, how you guys look at prospective candidates. Yes. Jasmine, thank you so much. I know you are freelancing. You're a dynamic career coach and I want, and I know you're a consultant also. So if companies want to hire you to come in and consult with them about their programs and their path forward, I know you're available for that. How can people connect with you? Hi, yes. Thank you so much. Um, you can connect with me on, um, so I'm relaunching my website this week. So it's Jasmine Reed Clark. Uh, dot com. Jasmine is J-A-Z-M-I-N-E, Reed, R-E-E-D, Clark, C-L-A-R-K, jasminereedclark.com. And I have the same name on Instagram, LinkedIn. Please feel free to add me on social platform, social platforms. And my email is jasminereedclark at gmail.com. So lots of options. <laughs> Yes, and I'm going to link up to all of Jasmine's profiles inside of our show notes of this episode, and I'll also post it inside of our private Facebook group, the Winning Season Facebook group, for all of you, in addition to sharing some of Jasmine's recent articles, more specifically the one that we kicked off with, the one talking about code switching, so that you can all check that out. Jasmine, again, I'm so excited that you came on this podcast. I have a whole page of notes here. I know the Winning Season community they have a ton of notes too so thank you thank you thank you and as you continue to do work I know we're going to have you back on the podcast for additional conversations I would love that I can't wait all right y'all until next time continue to emulate excellence and eliminate excuses Before we go, I would love to say thank you to the Zero Gap team who makes this podcast possible. Now, Zero Gap is the company that I run, and without Zero Gap, we would not have this winning season podcast. So head over to zerogap.co for resources and tools to help you lead unapologetically, increase your confidence, and to be bold in your decisions as a woman working within a male dominated industry. 